Grab a seat if you'd like. Good morning. We're so thankful that you're here. And um, I just want to say happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. It's our, our seventh birthday. We are seven years old. Um, we're, we've learned how to ride a bike at this point. Um, no, really, really grateful. I'm just moving furniture. Um, so if you've been around for seven years, you're like, holy cow, it's been seven years. Uh, this is nuts. It's, time went fast. Um, some of you have been serving in our church for seven years. <laughs> you've been doing kids for seven years. You've been doing set up and tear down for seven years. And uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how thankful we are for you and what the journey has been for our church. So we're going to take our offering really quick. Um, and just if you're new, you can let that go by. Um, but it's uh, just a great chance for you to help us um, uh, just stay on track with our budget and all that good stuff. I do wanna say a couple of things. Um, because we are a church plant and we're seven years old, um, there's always places for you to jump in. There's always ways for you to serve. And, and by serving is actually a really great way to get to know people in our community. And so like right now next door, um, there's a great group of people working with kids and. Um, it's a great way to get to know people because you're serving along other adults. It's not just you and all the kids. Um, and so there's just a great way for you to serve next door. There's just places all over the place. So if you'd like to do that, um, out in the lobby, there's a kiosk and you can just click serve and, and shoot us a little note or you can go online and do that. I wanna say a couple other things. If you are new-ish to this place, maybe in the last two, three months, um, we have a newcomer's lunch next two weeks from today. Um, and so it's, I think it's December 2nd. So we'd love for you to come to that. If you'd like to be a part of that, it's just right after the service, uh, right next door. Um, we have eight kids that still need to be sponsored with pajamas. So if you haven't been around the last couple of weeks, we are sponsoring a whole orphanage of kids in Mexico with pajamas. And so all you gotta do is grab a picture. They're on the table out there, grab a kid, um, it tells you size and everything, like it couldn't be easier. Just go get them pajamas and ship them to them. So uh, we are uh, almost there. We, I think we had like 60, 70, 80 kids, but now there's only eight left. So if you'd like to be a part of that, grab that out there. Ladies, there's a Christmas event. You should have gotten an invitation. If you didn't, it's out there. Um, and then last but not least, what's really cool is we're a church plant, like I said, seven years old, we are actually a part of a group of churches that help plant other churches. So um, right now, locally, we have two Hispanic churches that are being planted um, really close by. In fact, the church that we store all of our stuff at and that we used to meet at is now hosting a, a Hispanic church plant uh, and, and they are like just getting off the ground. And on December 1st, which is a Saturday, they are holding a huge outreach event um, in their neighborhood, and um, it's like a birthday party for kids, and so it's like this huge deal, um, and, and they're actually hoping for any help volunteer-wise. It's like three hours long. It's 10 to 1, so you don't even have to know Spanish, so if you want to face paint or do some fun stuff, um, please let me know personally. I will connect you up with uh, Roberto Rojas, who's the pastor, and, and they're doing some really cool stuff, so I just want to let you know all about that, so... All right, were you ready? 
Let's do this. If you have a Bible, we're going to Matthew chapter 13 today, and we're so happy you're here because we are, um, oh, cool, we got lyrics. Um, (laughs) I'm just totally pointing out. That's Angela back there, by the way. She loves when I point her out. What? Did Elliot do it? Oh, yeah, okay. So we're on a journey right now as a church, and we're into uh, talking about what transformation looks like. And um, just uh, if you just joining us, we did a series called Be, Become, Do. What does it look like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did? And now we're kind of concentrating on that become like Jesus part. Like, what does real transformation look like? And, and the thing is about transformation is a lot of times we, we kind of get that confused with self-improvement, um, self-help, like, or, or, or behavior modification. You know, stop doing something, start doing something. Um, and that's not really, really what we're after. We're actually after uh, change from the ground up in our lives. Not just band-aiding some, some things, but real, authentic, deep change. And one of the places I think that each of us finds a gap between who we are and what does it look like to be like Jesus is in our identity. Our identity is like, it shapes us, and our de- identity has been shaped by other things. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to argue today that the way we see ourselves, okay, you know, or better, what we believe about ourselves can actually hold us back from becoming like Jesus. And, and what we need is new stories, and we need new scripts, because a lot of us are rolling around in our heads with a mixtape or a script of who we think we are. And that's actually holding us back from becoming what Jesus has told us we are. And so what we're gonna do is we're going to dive into a little bit of of Jesus's kind of journey a little bit in Matthew chapter three. Take a look at this. It says, then Jesus came to Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So he hears, this is my beloved son. Now, where is Jesus getting his identity from? You can participate. From his father, from above. And, and he's, he's, from the voice of the spirit of God, he hears, this is my son. Question is, where do you get your identity from? Where do, you, where do I get my identity from? Do we get our identities from heaven, from, from the voice of God, or do we get it from somewhere closer to earth, somewhere closer to our surroundings? See, really quickly, some of us, the reality is some of us get our identities from things like our performance, right? Our performance, I am what I do. This is the season for... Christmas and cocktail parties. You're gonna show up at a Christmas party. You're gonna meet people you've never met before. 
And after finding out your name, what do you usually get asked? What do you do? So what is it you do, right? Which is always a wild, wild question. And sometimes um, you can tell when someone is really into what they do or what they do is really into them, right? There's like a, there's like a resume of like a virtuous like resume explosion that happens. And um, the reality is, is that uh, there's people who've studied um, our kind of our work routines and our resumes. There's a guy that wrote a book called The Achievement Society. And he basically says, we tend to be entrepreneurs of ourselves. Like we have a good list of ways to communicate who we are by what we do. And he argues that more opportunities, we have more opportunities than ever to reach our full potential, okay? These websites and getting jobs and all that kind of stuff, all that kind of stuff. But he says at the same time, we as Americans are, are through the roof when it comes to mental illness. And like we have access to all this stuff and we have all this achievement that we can do and, and we're just pushed and pushed and pushed. And yet nowhere on earth is mental illness higher than in first world countries because of this obsession with ourselves and our performance. Second thing is we're, we're kind of, you know, uh, formed as far as our identities goes by our possessions, what we have. Um, and we all know this really easily. I mean, it's a materialistic society we, look, we live in. The American work engine is work more, buy more, repeat. And it's over and over again. Here we are, Christmas time coming up on that. By the way, Christmas decorations don't go up until Friday. Amen. Okay, we're just, I know it's going to bother some of you, me saying that, and I'm sorry. And Mannheim Steamroller never gets played, but that's just me. No, it's either a love-hate thing, right? It's either you love Mannheim Steamroller or you want to run into a bridge embutment. Nobody? Nobody ever have? Uh, no, it's just me? Okay, all right. I, I don't know. It's just one or the other, right? Okay, so back to this. <laughs> Amazon, Amazon's our new temple. Amazon online is our new temple. Possessions like this, you know, things are more readily available than ever before. There's inertia to possessions. We've talked about this. Um, another way we get our identity is pleasure. I am what I want. Um, this shows up huge in our sexuality. It's like a real cutting example is our sexuality, this idea that my attractions are the root of my identity. And that's what our culture tells us. We even have experiences and food and entertainment. And we all have desires, but the question is, are they the truest thing about us? Are they what's most true about us? Final, the last part of it is popularity. I am what people think I am. And we live in a, just a, a, a rapid social media uh, world that's like, basically social Darwinism. It will eat you alive if this is like your game. And what I think is so interesting about social media is sometimes I think some of the most disastrous lives look the best on social media because it's all about what we're putting forward. And now, here's the thing. This is like not an exhaustive list of where we get our identity. This is just kind of a taste. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to argue is this. The danger is your identity is tied to usually three things. 
It's usually tied to your self-worth and my self-worth. And that's kind of like who I am, a matter of because I am what I do or whatever. It's tied to our security, belonging somewhere. Um, Social scientists say we're more tribal than we've ever been right now in this moment. And underlying that tribe, we like kind of pack together because of fear. I mean, we're more connected than ever, but yet we're more fearful than ever. And so people are tribaling together because they're scared. Um, And then your identity is also tied to your happiness, like what you have, what needs are being met or not met. And the problem with all these identities is that these identities can or will be taken away. At some point in our life, at some point in your season, these identities will be taken away, and it's just a matter of time. So your work life, jobs aren't always secure. Our possessions, our possessions like break down and get stolen and get replaced by new things that are better than those things. Everything gets, everything goes away. Your, your ideal physique Chances are you're not in your, well, those of you who are in your 20s, live it up, right? Your ideal physique is not 45 or 65. All these identities are what Jesus calls shifting sand, okay? So my argument today is one of our key tasks to apprenticing Jesus is getting our identity from heaven, not from earth. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, yeah, but you're, you're talking about Jesus getting his identity from heaven and not from earth. And he was Jesus. Um, and that was a story about Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. And my follow-up would be, really? So we're going to flip to the right in your Bible or however you flip on your phone. And we're gonna go to a book called Ephesians. And what we're gonna do is for just a little bit, I'm gonna talk about Ephesians, but um, then I'm gonna invite somebody, a special guest up for an interview, okay? So Ephesians chapter one. And what this is, is a letter from Paul to a group of people in Ephesus a few decades after Jesus And Paul, if you're new to this, Paul is a theologian, a brilliant mind, and he's uh, from the Jewish tradition originally, and he's working out the implications of Jesus, Jesus' words, his miracles, all these stories that we have. He's working out those implications for those who follow him. Um, He uses the word Lord all over the place, um, and, and, and this is the first century city of Ephesus that is just huge into temple worship and all these things, but, G, but Paul is using this opportunity in this letter. This is like a ground zero in the New Testament for a theology of identity, okay? And so we're gonna start, I'm just gonna read these words over you. This is chapter one, it's about 14 verses. Listen to these words. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us 
in, every, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us into him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose, the purpose of his will, in order that we who we were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says to the praise of his glory three times. The key phrase in all of this is in Greek, it's in Christo. In, in English, in Christ, Paul uses that 150 times to talk about our identity. 150 times. Now this is a very nerdy uh, theological term I'm about to throw at you. It's called incorporation or union. And basically what this means that in baptism, okay, when you are baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are drenched in the reality of God, meaning you are incorporated into union with Christ. Everything at that moment, everything that is true about Christ is true about you, okay? That's that, that kind of bigger idea. And the Greek translation from the Hebrew word, it, this is actually Paul doing this work in, in the translation. He translates it from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is, is where we get the word Messiah. So actually, technically, this is why this matters. In English, we hear Christ, we hear in Christ, which sounds like you know the second member of the Trinity, very heavy, kind of big theological stuff. But when we hear Mashiach, when we hear Messiah, it sounds more Jewish, meaning Messiah is the long-awaited king, the long-awaited uh, king of Israel on the horizon, Israel's representative. And so when Paul's saying, you are in Messiah, you are in the long-awaited uh, representative of Israel, the king that God is sending. This is, look at this quote, actually, from a guy named N.T. Wright. He wrote a, huge, a number of huge books, but... I'm gonna throw this one up here. I think it's a, when Paul speaks, there it is. So when Paul speaks to us as being in Christ, the center of what he means is that the king represents his people. So that what happens to him happens to them. And what is true of him is true of them. Think of David fighting Goliath. David was representing Israel. 
He had already been anointed king, and it wasn't long after his victory before people realized that he was the one that would lead Israel into God's future. So with us, Jesus has won the decisive victory over the oldest and darkest enemy of all, and if we are in him, in the king, in Christ, we shall discover step by step what that means. Okay, this is really, really cool because what he's saying, he's, he's bringing the Old Testament idea of the story of, of, of David and Goliath. And, and what's interesting about David's victory, and I think you understand that they, they each put forth a champion to fight, okay? The Philistines, Goliath, David is representing Israel. And the winner of this battle, because of that victory, then becomes the representative for the whole people. What, what is happening here is what's so interesting is David's hometown is just a few miles away. So if the Philistines win, his hometown is the first one, like one of the first places that gets swept up in the victory of the Philistines. And so because of David's victory, all of Israel is victorious. All of Israel is free. All of Israel lives into what it means for David to be king. So the same way through Jesus the Messiah, what, he, what uh, N.T. Wright is ar ar arguing. Through the cross and the resurrection, okay, the defeat of death and hell and sin, and through that moment, his victory, Jesus' victory becomes our victory. His freedom becomes our freedom. His kingdom becomes our kingdom. Does that make sense? Take a look at this quote now from a guy named Greg Boyd. He says this, the central error is in failing to realize that the position believers are placed in before God determines who they really are. God's word determines reality as much in the believer's life as it did in the creation of the world. When God speaks, reality is created. So if God says we are holy in Christ, we are holy in Christ. Hence, there is simply no basis for making distinction between what God says is positionally true about us and what is actually true about us. This is so important. What is true is, about Christ is true about you. When God looks at you, he sees you incorporated into union with Christ. And that's what's so huge. And a lot of times we get our identity statements from other places. We get our identity statements from scripts that are playing in our heads and, and what people have said to us decades ago. And what we think people want out of us and, and all of these things, that's where we get our identity statements from. But that's not what Paul is saying in, in Ephesians. Look at this list of things. I'm just gonna rattle off some of these things that Paul said. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen before the creation of the world. We are holy, we are blameless, we are loved, we are predestined, we are adopted as sons and daughters, we are under God's pleasure, we are in God's will, we are to the praise of his glorious grace, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are rich in God's grace. We are wise and understanding. We are aware of the mystery of Christ. We are chosen. And here's the thing. This all just comes from the first run-on sentence. There's like two and a half more chapters of Paul just laying out who we are in Christ. 
over and over and over. He gets to a spot where he talks about how we are God's masterpiece. We are his poema. Do you feel like that? This is who you are if you are in Christ. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but you should have seen what I was doing last night. You should have seen how I talked to my kids this morning. You should have seen, you should have seen me three months ago at a summer barber. You should have seen me. You should see me. How, how is this true about me? Well, it's not just true about you theologically. It's, it's actually true about you in reality. There's a guy named George Ladd, a theologian that a few decades ago coined the phrase that we use often around here, the, the idea of the now and the not yet, right? Like the kingdom of God is here now, and yet it is still to come. Like we get tastes of it here, but it's not totally in fulfillment. And, 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 and which one is it? Is it now or is it not yet? Yes, right? It's both. And so he and a few other theologians use the same framework to talk about ethics, to talk about our lives and ourselves. And they, they coined this super nerdy phrase, okay, called eschatological realism. I know. Um, and eschaton actually means future. And, and realism, they're, they're using it in the terms of reality. So the future reality, okay, of who you are. So this idea is you are in a process of becoming who you really are in Christ. Does that make sense? Meaning your identity isn't rooted in your past, nor is it rooted in your present, it's rooted in your future. So what's true of me now, you think might be the, the truest thing about you. No, it's not. The truest thing about you is who you are becoming. And that informs how we live now. That is who I am becoming in Messiah. So my point is not to shrug off sin or to shrug off and to make light of things or take a wink at sin or anything like that. Nothing will warp your identity more than ongoing sin in your life. And, and so if you're sitting around kind of redefining good and evil in your life and letting evil in and calling it good, it will change you. But if we turn to chapter four, listen to this as we wrap this up. There's not a single command up until chapter four. So for three chapters, Paul is actually just showering the people of who they are, like reminding them of who they are in Christ. All these things that are true about them because they follow Jesus. And, and, and what's interesting is that the, the identity piece is the first three chapters, and then he starts to talk in the last three chapters of what? The imperative, like what's the outcome of this? Like because of this, because of this identity you have in Jesus, this is what that means. Here's the outcome of that. What do you do flows out of everything of it. Like for all of us, what you do flows out of, you know, the truth or the lies that you believe about yourself. That's just the, the reality of it. So Paul starts off in chapter four, he says this. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's his command. I urge you to live a life worthy. After all these things, three chapters of, of who you are in Christ, he's like, I urge you to live in response to that. And then he starts to list off things, be completely humble and gentle. 
Why? Because that's who you are in Christ. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Become who you already are. A lot of times people misread Paul. He's not saying earn it. He's like, he's not saying all this cool stuff happened to you now earn it back. Like pay it back. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you have a high and holy calling. You have a high and holy calling and, and so go for it. Live it out. Now if you talk to families who have adopted kids, they usually, um, it's so interesting because like once, once that child is brought into their family, they're immediately part of the family. It's like a beautiful thing. And next door we have Gabe Rubidoux and I was there for their big adoption thing a number of years ago. And it was such an emotional thing before the judge and, and it's such an awesome deal. But Gabe is like a Rubidoux. And, and, and there's nothing that's gonna change that. His, his family, that's his family. That's, and, and, and so when you, when you see the pattern in scripture of adoption, it's all rooted in your identity. So when you start to see the way God sees you, God's eyes on you, your identity, that's the turning point. And so when you think of yourself, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Is it what you do? Is it what you achieve? Is it what you have? It's what you, is the first thing that comes to mind is that you're a mess? Is the first thing that comes to mind um, that you've blown it and you've made all these mistakes? Or is the first thing that comes to mind that God loves you into your future? So this morning what I wanna do is I wanna bring up Jen Henshaw. And uh, some of you guys, come on up Jen. Some of you guys know Jen. Um, and give her a hand, because this is one of those. <laughs> Jen has been doing some public speaking lately, which has been pretty fun to hear about. Um, and if you don't know Jen here, Jen is married to Elliot, and they dress the same. <laughs> and <laughs> On purpose. <laughs> on purpose. I mean, it was a total thing. There was a, is your mic on? Is it on? Yeah. Yes. Um, one of the things that's so great about the Hinshaws, and I gotta say, because it's like a really, really cool thing. Um, five years ago, our second birthday was a really hard season in the life of our church. Um, and if you were around, you know. Um, some of you, I've, t- I've told the story before, but it was around this time, five years ago, that the weight of doing this church plant and all the crud that was happening um, I had, a, I had a panic attack. Did you know this? I don't know if you knew this. I had a panic attack. In my driveway, it was pretty, pretty spectacular. Like heavy breathing and weird freaking out. And, um, and just after that season with praying for people, we, we prayed, for, we've prayed for people to be a part of this community that loved Jesus and uh, loved the community. And not too many months later, the Hinshaws came into the picture. And so we are like still so, so grateful for you and Elliot. And the cool thing is, is 
having kids and getting to know the kids and getting to know your life as we've been doing this. So, Jen, I've been wanting to interview you for a while now. And um, one of the things that's been, um, I mean, I know a little bit about your story, but tell our church a little bit about growing up, um, kind of your family, your story, and, and, and just kind of your walk with Jesus. I know that's kind of a big open-ended question, yeah. but I'll ask more if I need to. Okay. Um, really, my story up until this point, since you mentioned that, has been fear. Um, growing up, my house was completely surrounded by a fence, like front yard, everything. Um, and it was really my parents' way of false security, which keeps coming up in my like life. Like a six-foot fence um, around your house. Yeah. Wow. So um, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, I didn't really think that that had any big impact on me until a couple months ago. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, I, I, I just kind of lived my life and was just afraid of everything. Um, and I, I don't just mean like spiders and snakes. I mean people and relationships and the Lord and letting people in and being myself, what people thought about me, everything. <laughs> it was like all-consuming. Um, and then my, my senior year of high school, <laughs> uh, my life got crazy. My, my mom, whom I love so much, uh, was convicted of a felony and went to prison. And um, thank the good Lord, Elliot came into my life <laughs> in that period because I still think I wouldn't be married. I'd, I don't know that if he wasn't in my life that I would have let anybody in because he walked it with me. But um, just, again, fear, security, false security, losing everything and, and living with the fear the fear of losing it all again, you know, it has just kind of been my story. And so you got into, you went into college and did a whole bunch of work with psychology. Yes. And um, a little bit of your journey, actually, at the end of college, you actually worked with some really hard people. Yeah, I did my internship at um, a prison for sexual predators. <laughs> And um, <laughs> so, any fear come up there uh, yeah. at all? Yeah, it, it was the most terrifying time of my life. Um, and in fact, at one point, I was locked in a room with 30 men by accident. And I just remember, I have never feared for my life more in that moment. And and it wasn't that I thought they were monsters or terrible people. I just, it was just like the reality of literally facing one of my fears, which is you know, being violated. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. So in that moment, I'm just like, it, it was one of the first times I just remember, I mean, I, my walk with the Lord, I grew up in church. I don't remember accepting Christ when I was like four or whatever, but it's just been, you know, renewal. But Process, in that yeah. moment, it was like, oh Jesus, <laughs> you have to protect me in this moment because I'm literally locked in the room. It's locks from the so were you, inside. Were you just kind of knocking? like? No, I was sitting like this. And there, I was getting ready to do a session. And they're all in front of me. And I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm a 100-pound blonde girl in the room. <laughs> you know, so anyways. Yeah. So you, um, you guys get married. Quickly, we whisk you out here. Mm -hmm. um, and then become a mom and... 
you, uh, what's interesting about identity is, is uh, you get married, and it's, I always do this, I always talk about this, this idea of when you get married, you don't instantly know how to be a wife, right? It's not like you get that downloaded on your wedding day <laughs> into your head, but you are one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the moment you have a kid, you don't know how to be a parent, but you are one, mm-hmm. right? So that's the, the kind of the idea of identity is this, that we, we are those things, now we live into it, you know? But, but interestingly, this last year has been a phenomenal year for you. Mm-hmm. Pretty heavy and glorious year yeah. when it comes to your walk with the Lord. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey. And, and I think specifically talking with this uh, friendship that you made yeah. um, about a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. So I went to a retreat in Destin, Florida last January. And I love the beach, but I did not want to go at all. And I couldn't figure out why I didn't want to go. And and looking back, I just know it was the enemy planting all these fears and lies in me because um, there was a divine connection waiting for me. And I met who is now my best friend. She lives in Kansas, but um, she was using this language and talking about the Lord and talking about herself in such a way that was so intriguing to me. Intriguing, and I thought she was crazy. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? What do you mean you're casting out spirits? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so that is really what started this whole, um, really, transformation. Yeah. Okay. And then you're you're moving into this, and and she kind of shares some things with you that um, it's almost like she knew you. Yeah. In a wild way. Yeah. She started talking to me like she knew my history and my past. You know, and there have been two times in my life now that I'm like, did my mom call you? (laughs) Like, how do you know this stuff about me? What's happening? And she's like, I I just feel the Lord telling me this about you. And now I know that it's called words of knowledge and the the Lord can speak in that way. But um, it, it just kind of blew my mind to go, the Lord loves me enough to tell this girl that I just met. It wasn't like forensic detail, but it was, she was like calling things out of me, like the fear of not being enough and um, victim mentality and, and all of these things. And I'm like, who are you? Yeah. How do you know me? <laughs> yeah. um, and as you started to lean into that journey with your own life and um, your, your kind of journey with the Holy Spirit and, and hearing from God and hearing uh, the Lord tell you things in your life, that's just been a, an amazing number of months. I mean, that's really been all of 2018, it seems like. Yes. And then this last August, was it August, July? You guys went? Um, October. October. Last month, yeah. Like four weeks ago. Yeah, I'm ago. good with calendars. <laughs> um, four weeks ago, you guys go out to a, 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 another retreat, and you're going to be actually be a part of, of sharing some things on this retreat. Mm-hmm. But you had a unique con- encounter out there as well. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. <laughs> so all along, really, the Lord has been you know, allowing me to build my relationship with the Holy Spirit and just, so it had been an incredible journey up to that point. And I I get to this conference and I knew, like the Lord had promised me, I'm gonna do something big in your life. I'm like, okay, so ready, so excited. It's been like an adventure, like a roller coaster. Like, okay, I'm ready. And the three days go by and and like, it was incredible. Things are happening, I got to speak, Um, but but what I knew he had promised had not yet happened. And I'm like, did I not hear you? Was I just wrong? Was I just wanting it for myself? And then at the very last moment, literally as I'm walking out of the doors to leave the church, um, this 
guy, he, he's a prophet. He grabs me and says, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> Um, and he, again, just starts speaking to me like he knows my life, except he is using actual details in my life. And I'm like, okay, this has happened before. I know it's real. So now did, I'm going to... Did my mom call right, you? Yeah, I, right, yeah. Did my mom call you? Like, is this <laughs> happening again? <laughs> um, and just starts speaking into my life, into who I am, and, and helping things make sense that haven't made sense to me before. Like, why am I this way? Why am I this way? And he just put it all together. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then, <laughs> I'm going to keep saying, and then, and yes, it gets better every time. <laughs> so he, he, he's speaking to me about all the weight I carry, all the burdens I carry, and that um, that's really a gift from the Lord, that I can perceive emotions and pick up people's emotions, but I don't know how to give them back to the Lord. So I just carry them. And, and <laughs> then he goes, um, does your back hurt? And if you've known me at all, I've had severe back pain for at least 10 years. Um, I always thought it was because I was on drumline and carried a really heavy drum. Um, but this must, he said, this, that it started maybe when you were 16, and I'm like, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> and he says, that's actually a manifestation of everything that you're carrying. I'm like, okay. Again, I'm like, this guy might be a little bit crazy, but. And so he starts praying for me and proceeds to heal my back. My back has not hurt a day since. Like, insane stuff that's not actually insane because it's biblical. And then he goes, and I don't know why I'm supposed to do this, but I, I need to give you a hug. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Um, and, but he goes, but first, um, I'm, I, I just need you to know, and this is where I get super emotional, I just need you to know that if you were my daughter, I would be so proud of you. And I lost it. <laughs> I've never cried so hard in my life. It was like a release of all these emotions that I've been carrying, um, not feeling like I'm enough, and we'll get into that. And he, he then proceeds to speak about orphan heart. And I don't know if you want me to talk yeah, about Yeah, I want that. you to talk about that. I was about to go there, okay. actually. So. so orphan heart can technically, like, I've heard experts, I'm no expert, um, I've heard them say that fatherlessness is the most undiagnosed issue in today's society. And um, like I said, my parents got divorced, I love my dad so much, but he just wasn't very present um, as I was growing up. He is now, um, and he's received the Lord, but he just, he just wasn't very present. And so orphan heart can come from your father not being, or mother, not being present physically or not being present emotionally. And you can have the best parents in the world and still make meaning from an experience and find yourself with an orphan heart. And so basically I just, I didn't think I belonged. I didn't think I was enough. I didn't think I was worthy. I thought I was a victim of all the things around me. Ryan talked last week about that exhausting person that thinks they have to earn everything and go, that was me to a T. Um, I thought I had to earn everything, including God's love and grace and mercy. And so I was just exhausted all the time. And he proceeds to speak a father's blessing over me. This guy, um, Matt, a father's blessing over me. And, and then tells me, um, your orphan heart is healed. And I'm like, what in the world? What's a 
does that even mean? So yeah, it's been a journey since. So what's interesting is the last week we talked about the Holy Spirit transforming us, and this week we're talking about our identity and how much that has. And your story really kind of collapses those two things together, how in a moment you experience, in a sense, God's real authentic identity Mm -hmm. for you. And it was just a powerful thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So he started working on me first. Like, Mm -hmm. I need you to believe who I say you are. which has been an incredible journey. I mean, just because this man healed my orphan heart doesn't mean it's been like all cupcakes and rainbows. (laughs) It's been a journey that like started the journey and catapulted me into something I didn't think I was ready for. Um, But now just living from this place of knowing who I am and who he says I am. Yeah. So So as we finish out, we're actually gonna go to the communion table together. And um, I'm gonna pray as we close. I'm gonna pray for Jen and pray for us. But becoming who you already are, that's the joy, that's the, the goal, that's where God wants to lead you. Not massaging some, uh, some, uh, some behaviors, not changing how you look or you pretend things. God really wants to do something in a deep, significant way in us. And it really has a lot to do with our identity, how we see ourselves.